say anyhow, so. All right, so if you would, if you have a Bible or it on your technology, you can get to 1 Thessalonians. 1 Thessalonians, we're going to be looking at chapter 2, the first 12 verses this morning. A few weeks ago, we began a series on Paul's two letters to the Thessalonian church. In chapter 1, if you remember, um, now again, that was a few weeks ago because we didn't have church. We had Dave Percy, uh, so you got to stretch back a little bit. I know for some of you, our older brains, I was going to say you, but I'll include myself, our older brains. Remember in chapter 1, we uh, considered the fact that this baby church reflected that the gospel of Jesus both had a tremendous impact on their lives and then, then a really beautiful and marvelous influence through their lives. And then we, as we enter into the first half of chapter 2, uh, Paul shifts from that emphasis uh, we might say, of, that, of the impact and the influence of the gospel through the Thessalonian church. And he shifts to the motives by which the gospel was originally conveyed. So I'm going to read here um, the first 12 verses of chapter 2. You know, brothers, that our visit to you was not a failure. We had previously suffered and been insulted in Philippi, as you know, but with the help of our God, we dared to tell you his gospel in in spite of strong opposition. For the appeal we make does not spring from error or impure motives, nor are we trying to trick you. On the contrary, we speak as men approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel. We are not trying to please men, but God, who tests our hearts. You know, we never used flattery, nor did we put on a mask to cover up greed. God is our witness. We were not looking for praise from men, not from you or anyone else. As apostles of Christ, we could have been a burden to you, but we were gentle among you, like a mother caring for her little children. We loved you so much that we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well, because you had become so dear to us. Surely you remember, brothers, our toil and hardship. We worked night and day in order not to be a burden to anyone while we preached the gospel of God to you. You are witnesses, and so is God, of how holy Righteous and blameless we were among you who believed. For you know that we dealt with each of you as a father deals with his own children, encouraging, comforting, and urging you to live lives worthy of God who calls you into his kingdom and glory. We'll stop there. So why is Paul doing this? Why is Paul doing this? Why does he feel like he has to defend his motives? It's clearly what he's doing. Why do, why do you think why do you think he feels the need to do it? Right. So the the what was very typical for Paul was for him to have to defend himself. And that might strike you as a bit strange. It's, you know, it's not necessarily a great characteristic um, 
in some instances, in a lot of instances, to be defensive. Uh, But Paul finds the need here to defend himself. Um, It's interesting, the gospel, what, what we call the good news, or could be referred to as the good message of Jesus... That, that God's righteous judgment was satisfied. <laughs> That's, you talk about God's judgment, uh, but God's judgment on man's sin is satisfied in Jesus. That's the beautiful thing. Amen? It's satisfied. So for Chuck, as soon as he enters into faith in Jesus, no matter what he's done, it's satisfied in Jesus on the cross. Um. That, his, that, that sacrifice of Jesus um, conquered all the consequences of sin. He, 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 that he, he showed that through his resurrection on the third day. And through that sacrifice, God displays his unlimited love and grace and makes a way for us, makes a way for us to be forgiven, makes a way for us to be reconciled to him, makes a way for us to receive the Holy Spirit of God, poured out on the church in this, in this age between the, the Lord's ascension and the Lord's return. The gospel of Jesus Christ, believing on Jesus as Savior and Lord by repentance and faith, that good message has been and always will be until the Lord returns under attack. That, that's the reality. That's not something we need to be afraid of. That's important, right? That's not something to be afraid of. Perfect love casts out fear. The church, a lot of the church is responding what's go, to what's going on in our culture out of fear. right? Fear is a motivator. It's not a good one. right? Guilt is a motivator. It's not a good one. right? Perfect love casts out fear. You need not be afraid of the attack. But you need to be wise to it, right? You need to be wise to it. We don't need to be sleeping in our lounge chairs in our faith. Um, these attacks often manifest themselves through people. I read this, I read this uh, in an online article this week, and it began like this, and I quote. This was just a random online article. It's, it started like this. Christianity, like all attempts at antiquated thought control is arguably something that should be dismantled outright. I was actually like Frontier.com or whatever has a bunch of news articles. That, that was a, it was an article. That's how it started. But listen, but though these attacks are manifested through people, our true enemy of the gospel and the true enemy of the salvation community of the gospel is the devil himself and and all the powers that are under his control. The scripture is very, very clear about this. Remember in Ephesians 6, Paul reminds us that our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. So there is a battle going on, and it's a spiritual one. So if we're not praying and we're not aware of the battle that's going on, we're sitting back on our lounge chairs of faith. We need not fear, but we do need to engage, right? Of the people that are, are, is, is the, that, that the devil uses to manifest the attacks 
against the gospel, against the church, of those people, Scripture is also very clear. Love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. You want to change your heart when it's bitter? Start praying for those who have hurt you. Start praying for those who have pitted themselves against you. Again, when you respond out of fear, you want to attack the messenger instead of seeing them as a person who's lost without God. You know what they need? They need the gospel. They need Jesus Christ, right? But the gospel is under attack, and the devil's looking to hinder the gospel, though it won't be stopped. And if he's looking to hinder the gospel, he's going to try and hinder those who communicate it. And the apostles communicated the gospel unto the establishing of the church. That was their job. And then the the church is established, and now the church, not just preachers, all of the church, everyone who considers Jesus as Lord and Savior, even when Jesus saved the guy who was possessed with the legion of demons, right? And he's running around naked in caves and cutting himself. As soon as he rescues him, he does what? He makes him a messenger of the gospel. No, you can't come with me. Go back to your hometown. Tell your story, right? He becomes an ambassador of the gospel. So the apostles establish the churches with the gospel, and then the church, everyone in the church, becomes an ambassador of that message. But that message is under attack in the spiritual realms. It should never surprise us how eagerly and how persistently our enemy seeks to distract the church, divide the church, and destroy the church. It's not something to fear, but it's something to be discerning about and aware of. So in Paul's case, when he shared the gospel and established a church, there were usually people that came in that would stir dissension, and they would do so by questioning the messenger and the message. And that came in a lot of various forms. You see, Paul often having to defend his authority as an apostle sent by God. And in this case, Paul is responding to those who are apparently slandering his motives for preaching the gospel. And responding to those accusations, Paul gives us some really helpful insights, I think, when it comes to us understanding some of the underlying issues of pure versus impure motives. And I'm not going to say this is exhaustive by any means, but it gives us some real uh, nuggets to to work with, some beautiful insights. And the overarching um, theme governing pure versus impure motives is that pure motives flow from a desire to please God. And impure motives flow from a desire to please who? Man. And in that framework, we'll look to glean some of the distinguishing traits of pure versus impure motives. And reflecting on each, we'll we'll briefly look at the methods, the incentive, and the ensuing effects, effects they have on relationships. So first, let's take a couple minutes to think about what Paul says concerning impure motives. Remember, the framework of impure motives is driven by a motivation to please men, a motivation that leaves a subject to the changing and varying whims of people that we're trying to use and gain approval from. 
Impure motives can often be sniffed out by considering the methods, all right, so we'll start there, the methods used to communicate an influence. Is there deceit? Is there a twisting of reality? Is there, is one being overly forceful? Is there flattery? Paul seems to touch on all these things. Is there simply figuring out what someone wants to hear and then saying it? That what someone wants to hear could vary. Even when it comes to religion, it could vary quite a bit. Uh, One person might want to hear, listen, what you're doing is just fine. You're good enough. That might be what one person wants to hear. Someone else might hear, you can do whatever you want. Someone else might want to hear, tell me what to do. Tell me all the rules. Tell me the, the religious standards and, and I'll do them so I can get it right. There's various things that people want to hear. But the gospel is in none of these. It's not what it, do whatever you want. It's not, it's not you're doing everything right now. It's not the legalism of adhere to religion. The gospel is none of those. Because all of those creates me as Savior and Lord. And the gospel is Jesus is Savior and Lord. Gospel doesn't always tell us what we want to hear, but it tells us what we need to hear. And Paul says that that they were not trying to trick them. They weren't using crafty methods. They weren't being deceitful. It wasn't kind of this slick sales pitch. They didn't communicate with flattery. It's an interesting word. Where encouragement, right, encouragement is a way to build someone up and its motivation is sincerity. Flattery is a way to puff someone up and it stems from insincerity. Flattery is a form of manipulation. It, it, It says nice things, but it's not really for the other person's good. It's just... To get what you want, it has ulterior motives. It's the man who tells the woman, you're so beautiful, but it really has nothing to do with her. It just has to do with what he might want to take from her. Flattery. Paul says we didn't use flattery. We didn't deceive you. We didn't try and trick you. Impure motives lead people to sell something without being up front about all that's involved. It's, it's like selling the gospel of Jesus in a way that just makes people think that it's all prosperity in this world when Jesus didn't say that, did he? <laughs> he said, we've got to count the cost of being disciple. The gospel's free. The gospel gives us more blessing, blessing upon blessing than we can ever imagine. But Jesus is very clear, here and now at times it's going to be really hard. But impure motives will sell without giving all that's involved. So the methods of impure motives are, are deceitful, we can say. They're deceitful. Am I only saying what I want someone to hear? Am I only hearing what I want to hear? So next, one of the telltale signs of impure motives is that the incentive, so we talked about, um, we talked about the, the 
method, but now the incentive is greed. I or they are in it, not for what I or they can give, but what, for what we can gain. This may be money, right? We often think about greed as money, but it's much, much larger than money. It could be influence. It could be power. It could be favors. I scratch your back, you scratch mine. It could be position. It could be um, acclaim. It could be gross abuses of power. Here, the, the, the phrase impure motives in verse 3 in the Greek um, Many think that many scholars think that there is actually a hint of, of motives of implying motives that were sexual in, na- in nature. Uh, they could have even saying, "Hey, Paul, you know, in that church there was many prominent Greek women that, that came to the Lord." So they might be saying, "Hey, Paul, what's going on here? What's your motivation?" A man named Robert Thomas says, uh, referring to the Greek word used in verse five for greed. I thought this was interesting that it implies self-seeking of all types. A quest for anything that brings self-satisfaction, and then this, is, this really hit me, it grows out of a complete disinterest for the rights of others. A complete disinterest for the rights of others. None of this would have been uncommon then. There would have been plenty of traveling preachers. There would have been plenty of traveling prophets or spiritual gurus going around looking not to minister to people, but to use people. And unfortunately, it's still very true today. But our hearts aren't often too far from this, are they? (laughs) If we're honest with ourselves... How often do we do things in the name of Jesus or in the name of ministry? More about what is gained than what is given. Agendas that run roughshod over people. The quest to be noticed or to be liked or to be applauded. For impure motives, the incentive is greed of all kinds. Thirdly, relationally, impure motives lead to shallow relationships. Shallow relationships. So the methods are deceitful. The incentive is greed. And relationally, it leads to shallow relationships. You never really get to know the person. You ever feel that way? Man, I've known this person for years, but I don't really know them. Or maybe you are that person. People have known you for years, but they don't really know you. It's not allowing yourself to be known. Paul says that when engaging with impure motives, we wear masks. Right? He uses that phrase. We wear masks to cover up our actual intentions. We may want to be liked. We may even want to feel like we're doing some good, but preferably without anyone actually knowing who I am, (laughs) preferably without having to really give my whole self over to anyone, I'll sit in church, maybe I'll serve now and again, maybe I'll even go on a missions trip. 
but I'll never really allow myself to know and be known because what I want is to feel better about myself. And I'm not sure that could ever happen if people really saw me for me. Right? That's the fear. I do want to feel better about myself, but if people really saw me for me, so we wear masks. Impure motives leads to shallow relationships. Let's, let's, let's flip the script. What does Paul say concerning pure motives? And again, the framework of pure motives is not that I would be about pleasing men. You want to love men and women. You want to love mankind. But my ambition, my driving force is not that I would please them. But pure motives finds its, finds its framework in desiring to please God. And pleasing God sets me free from all the traps that come with pleasing mankind. It, it actually allows me when my motivation is to please God, it allows me to love people and not just myself. Because it's not about how you reciprocate, right? It's not about your approval. It's not about what I can get from you. In Paul's case, he, he turns their attention to their experience with him. It wasn't an empty, misguided, pointless sham that that ended in what he calls failure, but there was genuine and unmistakable impacts in their lives. He went over that in chapter 1. He's kind of of encouraging them in the midst of this slander. Hey, remember our experience together. He says four times, you know. (coughs) You know, you know, you know, you know. And 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 one time he says... uh, Surely you remember. And again, he says, you are witnesses. So, so like six times he says, you remember, you know, surely you know. Because he's, he's bringing them back to his actual experience with them. Encouraging them to, to kind of set aside and strip away the malicious talk. They knew that he was approved by God, that the gospel originated from God. And that it was for their benefit. Benefit That was their experience. Let's consider how Paul's pure motives ran in opposition to the nature of impure motives. So as opposed to the methods, we'll start there again, as opposed to the methods that are deceitful, flattery and deceit, Paul and his companions were sincere. They were open, we could say. They were forthright. Humble and honest and gentle. When Paul says in verse 2, we dared to tell you his gospel. The word dared there actually denotes this kind of open and frank speech absent fear. Everything that Paul says here points to a ministry that was transparent and authentic. They were not manipulative or overbearing. Paul came as an apostle, but his leadership was not iron-fisted, we could say. In fact, it's very interesting. He says that they were gentle among them. In verse 7, where it says, we were gentle, it could be translated, we became babies among you. It's a really interesting picture. And then I'll mention a minute, he talks about mothers. It's almost like this picture of this nursery, and it's like we came down 
and were so tender with you, it was like we were vulnerable infants with you. It's an interesting paradigm for leadership. It's, it's so easy in our culture to label someone who is overbearing as a leader, isn't it? Oh, that person's strong and loud. They must be a leader. And here Paul, the apostle to the Gentiles, who, who had, was commissioned by Christ himself, says, when we came to you, we were so gentle, we came, became like babies to you. Paul's and his companions' methods were the opposite of threatening, the opposite of domineering, the opposite of superior, take charge, take advantage. They were innocent in motive, tender in their approach. The methods were open, honest, and gentle. Their character above reproach. Next, as opposed to the, an, an incentive of selfish gain, pure motives were showed in their willingness to suffer for the good of others. Paul says, you know the suffering we went, to, went through. He, he cites his suf- their suffering in Philippi. In Philippi, they were stripped and then publicly beaten and flogged. So can you imagine, Paul's basically saying, they stripped us naked, they beat us and flogged us, and then they threw them in prison and shackled their feet. That's what the gospel cost them. And then they went on to Thessalonica after that experience, and a mob a mob is rallied against them. How many of us would coward, have cowered under those circumstances? But Paul wasn't about pleasing men. He was about pleasing God. And their pure motives are shown in a willingness to suffer for the good of others. They're not ter- These are not typically circumstances that people will endure under if they're in it for themselves. Typically, if someone is in it for themselves, when the going gets tough, they bail. Not only is their gospel labor demonstrated in their willingness to suffer, it's also displayed in their, their refusal to be a burden. Paul didn't demand financial support. There's many times that later he writes that he could have, that he had a right to it. Don't, don't muzzle the oxen while he's treading grain. He had a right to it, but he wouldn't exploit it. He wouldn't take advantage of it. Because, you know why? Because he wanted them to know that the gospel was free. It's no charge, folks. So he labored day and night. And a lot of people think that that means he literally ministered all day long and then at night worked. Tent maker, leather worker, whatever, you know, whatever he was doing. So he did double duty so they knew the gospel was free. He worked hard. His his motivation was pure. He was willing to suffer. Listen, the cause of the gospel, and a lot of times entering into meaningful relationships, comes with some hard work and at times suffering. But pure motives will be driven by an incentive of doing good for others. And will, be met and will manifest itself in the willingness to do the work. And at times even suffer to that end. 
Lastly, as opposed to the shallowness that's prevalent with impure motives, relationally, pure motives allow us to go deep. So again, I'm trying to please God, not man. It's not about your approval or your praise. I'm not relying on that. It frees me to be vulnerable. It frees me to show you who I really am. The good, the bad, and the ugly. It's a safe place because I know I'm loved by God. The apostle says that he and his companions shared their lives. We didn't just share the gospel with you. We shared our lives with you. And that expression doesn't mean they just physically rubbed shoulders with him for a mile. It means they went deep. It means they shared their joys and sorrows. It means they exposed their inner selves. It's to truly know and allow yourselves to be known. It's to refuse to just come to church and not be a part of the church community relationally. Knowing and being known. It's a refusal to think of evangelism as disconnected from relationship. Well, I need to go witness. Maybe I'll go. It's great. Go talk to a stranger. More power to you. But are, are you talking to your neighbors? Is it just hit and run ministry disconnected from relationship? I, I don't see that as the mandate of the scripture. No, it's relational. It's getting to know people. It's entering into their world and their mess and knowing and being known. Paul's love was so sincere that, that it was parental. He, he talks both about, if you can imagine this, the apostle Paul, he says, I was like a mother to you. I was like a baby. I was like a mother, <laughs> nurturing you, caring for you. I was like a father, then he says. Because in that culture, the father would have been responsible to come alongside and give instruction and to motivate so, so that you would live lives worthy of God or, or, or walk worthily of God, it could be said more literally. Live a life that is in accordance with the love and grace that's been lavished on you. Not only that you've been made holy in Christ, but then you would choose, I, we sang that, I choose to be holy, right? You're made holy, but now I'm choosing it. I'm living a life worthily, walking worthily of God. Pure motives allow us to be free of masks. To know and be known. Just going to wrap up by, by reading a very simple song by Sarah Groves. It's called Know My Heart. And then I'll invite Daniel up to close this. Um, It says, why do I pray, do I pray, to say I prayed an hour? Why do I love, do I want you beholden to me? Why do I help, do I want to hear my name called out? Why do I sing? Search me and know my heart, O God. See if there is any wrong thing in me. All I have ever really wanted are clean hands and a pure heart. Why do I tithe? Do I tithe so I can get a blessing? 
Why do I praise? Do I praise to do the right thing? Why do I serve? Do I serve so others will serve me? Why do I sing? Search me and know my heart, O God. See if there is any wrong thing in me. All I have ever really wanted are clean hands and a pure heart. So, Father God, we do ask that you purify our hearts, Lord. You know that in our sin we are broken to the core, but in Christ we are being made anew. Father God, may it be that our desire would be to please you alone. That our methods, Lord God, as we love one another, minister to others, that they would be honest, open, transparent, gentle. That when you call us to, that we'd be willing to suffer for the good of others. And make us so secure in your love, Lord God, that we are willing to know and be known. Purify our motives, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.